DW Africa Link. It's 5 p.m. and you're tuned to DW Broadcasting from Bonn, Germany. Time for the Africa Link show that brings you the latest information from Africa and the world. I'm Isaac Mugabe. And with Isaac, I am Okiri Ngushinado. We welcome all our listeners from wherever you're tuning in. Send your comments to our Facebook page, DW Africa. And coming up, Shell Oil Company announces that it will sell its onshore business in Nigeria's Niger Delta region. We hear from our correspondent in the region. Well, I think uh, for any company that is coming in to take over these assets for continued onshore business, it has a lot of uh, environmental challenges to confront. Meanwhile, for environmental activists, they have one key demand for Shell before it exits the Niger Delta. Selling of assets or not selling of assets is not of my business. Shell has the responsibility to restore back our land. We also have the latest from the ongoing AFCON tournament. So stay with us till the end. First, the world news. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. Tensions are rising between Pakistan and Iran after an Iranian airstrike on Pakistani territory killed two children. Karachi has recalled its ambassador to Iran and expelled the Iranian ambassador from the country. According to Iranian state media, the airstrike targeted the headquarters of the militant group Jeshal Adol. Iran has accused the group of carrying out terrorist attacks on its soil. Iran has carried similar attacks against potential enemy groups in Iraq and Syria. But why is this happening now? Journalist Yusra Askari in Karachi with more. Uh, the timing is very, very interesting to note, uh, especially vis-a-vis Pakistan, because we're heading into the general elections on the 8th of February. And with another front opening up with yet another neighbor, we are not in the best of terms with our neighbors in Afghanistan and in India. And with another parallel front opening up in Iran, an interesting dynamic may come into play, which may impact the fate of the general elections in the weeks ahead. Uh, journalist Yusra Askari there in Karachi. Rwanda's President Paul Kagame has said he will return money to the UK if no asylum seekers are sent to his country under his deal with the government. The UK has paid about 300 million US dollars to Rwanda with a further 63 million US dollars to come. So far, no asylum seeker has been sent to the country. In a related development, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak faces a major parliamentary showdown later today over his plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda, with some of his lawmakers threatening to rebel after they lost an initial bid to toughen the proposed law. A senior Hamas official says a shipment of medicine intended for dozens of Israeli hostages being held in Gaza is on its way to the area. The delivery comes after Qatar and France mediated the first agreement between Israel and the militant group, which will also see aid arriving in Gaza for Palestinian civilians. Shaina Lo is from the Norwegian Refugee Council, which operates in Gaza. She explains how much of a difference the Qatar brokered aid deal will make for Palestinians in this trip. Any amount of humanitarian aid, any increase in humanitarian aid is needed. There are two things about this deal that I think are important to note. The first is that 
we really need to not be linking humanitarian aid to political agreements. Israel, as the occupying power, has a responsibility to provide the necessities for sustaining life, for survival in Gaza. And we, we shouldn't be tying these uh, the provision of assistance to, to innocent civilians, 2.3 million innocent civilians who have nothing to do with this conflict other than being trapped there. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. At least two people have died in Nigeria and more than 70 injured in an explosion in the southwestern city of Ibadan. The blast was caused by stored explosive reportedly for use in illegal mining. It rocked more than a dozen buildings and more are feared trapped as rescuers dig through the rubble. And China's population has fallen for the second year in a row, dropping by 2 million people in 2023. The drop comes amid record low birth rates and a wave of COVID-19 deaths after strict lockdowns ended. The government's statistics bureau says China's total population stands at 1.4 billion. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyinge. And you're still listening to DW's Africa Link Show, broadcast from Monday to Friday. I'm Isaac Mugabe. And this is Okeri Ngushinava. We welcome those listening to our program on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Feel free to leave your comments there, even your predictions and what you're looking forward for the Afghan Games. And Isaac and I will read them on the show. Indeed, indeed, like we promised in our previous edition, uh, we, we said we'd bring you all updates that you need to know. The shocks, the surprises... The letdowns, I mean, it's an Afcon that is full of surprises. Uh, many people are losing their bets. Their favorite teams are losing. Others are winning unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So all those, all that coming up. So don't go away. Stay with us. But first we start in West Africa. Shell Oil Company has agreed to sell its onshore business in Nigeria's Niger Delta to a consortium of companies in a deal worth $2.4 billion. This is the latest move by the energy company to limit its exposure in the country. The sale comes amid long-running complaints of environmental pollution caused by the oil industry in the Niger Delta region. For more on this, I spoke to our correspondent, uh, Bello Mohamed, on a wide range of issues about Shell exiting the region, starting with the environmental impact its operations have had there. Well, I think uh, for any company that is coming in to take over these assets for continued onshore business, it has a lot of uh, environmental challenges to confront because these are the concern of the people, devastation of the environment. Their waters, their land have all been spoiled as a result of constant emission of uh, gas flaring and also oil spill. Um, Mr. Bemene Tanem is an Ogoni man where environmental cleanup is ongoing and has this to say. Well, divestment or no divestment, selling of asset or no selling of asset is not of my business. The issue is Shell has the question to answer to the people of Niger Delta area. Shell has the responsibility to restore back our land. Our farmland has been damaged for over 56 years. The, the area has been polluted for several years, for over 56 years. We are living in abject poverty in the midst of plenty. Our rivers, there's no fish any, and nothing because of oil pollution. Now they've decided to sell their assets and leave the area. For who? Activists plan to ask the government to withhold its approval if the company, that is Shell, does not address its environmental damage. What more can you tell us? 
Indeed, uh, with regards to divestment of oil companies from uh, the Niger Delta region, calls upon calls are being made by especially environmental activists for authorities in Nigeria to halt uh, the uh, divestment process because of uh, unresolved issues around environmental uh, damages. But uh, from all indications, authorities don't seem to really respond to these uh, calls. Now, we know that Nigeria heavily depends on the Niger Delta's petroleum resources for its earnings. However, pollution from oil and the natural gas production has prevented residents from accessing clean water, hard farming and fishing, and heightened tensions. Is the situation likely to improve once Shell exits and their newcomers? I don't think coming in of uh, new investors uh, will change the situation with regards to the environmental devastation because um, the oil multinationals such as Shell having all the capacity uh, with all the machinery and uh, facilities uh, couldn't uh, take care of the environment and follow rules. Uh, when comparing with uh, uh, you know, the newcomers who may not be as uh, strong as uh, you know, companies like Shell, we can say that the situation may even be worse. But uh, I contacted Mr. Chima Williams, who is an environmental lawyer, and has this to say. We are agitated that the new companies that will come in may even be worse than the multinationals that are divesting. Let me give you an instance. As at the heat of the divestment program, we saw what happened in Bielsa State, but, you know, the ITO explosion that took close to three months before it could be stopped because the company that bought over the facilities did not have the capacity to control what was happening. Activists have urged the government to require Shell and the new buyers to provide a plan for addressing the environmental damage and compensating communities before granting approvals. Has the government responded to the activists' concerns? Well, with all the calls by activists urging the Nigerian government to require Shell, especially, and the new buyers to provide a plan for addressing environmental damage and compensating communities before granting approvals. So far, we can see the government has not uh, responded to such calls, as has been confirmed by some of these environmental activists, just like uh, what uh, Mr. Kentebe Ibirado who is uh, an environmental activist with the uh, Environmental Rights Action Friends of the Arts, uh, has put it that uh, they are still urging Nigerian government to do the needful. This is a wake-up call on the Nigerian government and also um, the National Assembly to quickly look into the policies that um, needs to be put in place for companies divesting. And it's a litmus test for the Nigerian government to know if these companies can walk in, destroy the environment, destroy the heritage of the people, destroy the social well-being of the people, destroy the livelihood, create a lot of human rights abuses, do not pay compensation for environments that have been uh, polluted, and also do not pay compensation to people who their lives and livelihoods have been lost and want to walk away. That was an activist from the Friends of the Earth ending that conversation that I had with a correspondent in the Niger Delta region, Bello Mohammed. Now, to bring you to speed about this case, before we delve into the comments and talk more about it with my colleague here, Okeri, in the studios, uh, the British Energy Major Shell will officially announced that they will sell up to 2.4 billion US dollars values of the onshore uh, fields that they have to 
consortiums. Two other oil majors also followed suit because there was a, a suit you know, filed against them. Uh, however, also the crisis are said to be brewing over Shell's plant exit, as you had in that Q&A or question and answer that I had with my colleague. We had activists say that they have to first clean okay, mm-hmm. before they think of exiting. And whoever comes in also has to <laughs> bear responsibility mm-hmm. of what Shell has left. And uh, it's going to be really, really tough for Shell to exit without addressing these concerns or the new buyers to address these concerns. And there was a case, by the way. Yes, uh, yeah, in, it was in 2011 exactly, actually, mm. um, where um, people from the Niger Delta sued Shell over the mess that they made, saying that it was causing heavy pollution. And they were also, just like it was mentioned in the report, that they were mm. not able to fish. But Shell won that case, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, it won that case. Surprisingly mm-hmm. or agonizingly, that, yes. like we reported at that time, even mm-hmm. we wrote so many articles, some of which you can easily search and find on our website, dw.com forward slash Africa, about disappointment. Yes, and because the London um, court said that it was, I mean, the people from Niger Delta brought the case too late i mean yeah i mean it, what it, was the time span that was needed for them to actually even i do forward? remember we had so many reactions at that time on our facebook page w africa people saying they're not satisfied with the court ruling mm-hmm. even as a time when bp oil spilled oil in the in the ocean mm-hmm. and the courts were quick to penalize bp for the yes. damage and the people were comparing it to Shell. like this this company has been in niger data region for so many years the people's livelihoods have been destroyed. Yes. No more fish, no more farming, and it just walks scot-free. Yes, indeed. I mean, also on our Facebook, um, some of the comments here, because we asked, is this good or bad news for Nigeria? We have your comment from Sean Paul Chooks. He says the citizens have not benefited anything from Shell, so they should leave. And uh, Aziz Omozwa says it's good news. Uh, let it be owned by Nigerians mm-hmm. now that Dangote Refinery has started production. Well, oh, well, that that would be a good idea. But uh, I really wonder whether Shell would want to sell to a company yes. of Dangote or rather a consortium like mm-hmm. we've already had. Yeah, I mean, there's also this comment that's from Africa and politics says it's good and bad news at the same time. Where will Nigeria get the billions of dollars to buy the assets? Definitely another foreign company will buy it, China company, and the cycle will continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone called Tribal Chef says doing business in Nigeria is pure joke. Let me just remind you that Nigeria crude oil accounts for 86% of the country's export earnings and much of it comes from Niger Delta region. It's a story that we are closely monitoring. Tell us your thoughts on our Facebook page, TW Africa. You are listening to DW's Africa Link Show, broadcasting Monday to Friday. I am Okerin Gushinado. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. Remember that we'd like to hear your thoughts of what you think about the stories that we are going to cover here on Africa Link. So feel free to comment. Uh, Okerin and I will happily read them here on air. Yes, indeed. And I'm also excited. I mean, we have a lot coming up for the second half of the show. We have Mm -hmm. updates on (laughs) AFCON, which I'm very excited to speak about. I'm even more excited about Namibia's fantastic win against Tunisia yesterday. Um, But still to come on the program, Tanzania's national team is ready to face off against Morocco. 
Well, the mindset is good. Actually, um, we've been in preparation. I believe we are in good form, and uh, we, we get good preparation um, towards our game. Yes, indeed, Afcon, Afcon, like we promised, it's really, really getting hotter, even though we've had the delays, draws, mm-hmm. wins, disappointments. But still, let's start with Namibia, where the country's football team, they're called the Brave Warriors, produced the biggest shock so far in AFCON by snatching a one to nil triumph over former champions Tunisia. And it's a game all of mm-hmm. us watched. I watched. Okay, you watched? Yes, I was watching it our from colleagues, the second half. Our colleagues at Africa Link, all of them watched and they sent you messages. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I, I was on those messages and seeing um, reactions from family as well. We mm. saw Dion Hotto, who headed the only goal of the opening match in the Group E with only two minutes of the regular time remaining and I, I must say that mm. was a beautiful pass from Beckham Muthwe. I mean they mm. made us really proud they made <laughs> everyone back imagine. home really really proud mm. but let's also hear from other Namibians on what they say about this win congratulations to the brave warriors congratulations congratulations well done to the two guys uh, Dionato for scoring and then also to Kadapwa the great saves that he did well done, boys. Uh, we're looking forward for South Africa on Sunday. The boys did so good yesterday. I enjoyed the game, watched it with my neighbours. The boys did us so proud. It wasn't looking good as, at first because they were just defending. But to see them attack more than once, I was so happy. We had a good time. It was a great game. It, it's, uh, it, 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 comes long, uh, it comes a long way now. Also, I have been following the national team for quite a long time now. We were quite... It was quite interesting to see them play a different style of football. Tunisia came into the game favourites and we thought like, wow, okay, this is going to be a tough defensive game for Namibia. But then again, Namibia just carried their own and they delivered. Okay, so as a Namibian man, I am very proud of the way Brave Warriors performed yesterday. It was so exciting to just see us finally beat. You know, I win a game at Afcon, so it was it's a proud moment as a Namibian. Like um, our president said, you know, he's the happiest Namibian. Well, we are all happiest Namibians. <laughs> you know, we are very, very proud. Go, 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 go! Brave warriors, we are proud to be Namibian at this moment. It's so historic. It's, it's fantastic. What, what an amazing achievement to the boys. History has been made. Our very first game in the bag at AFCON. More to come. Wish you the best, guys. Yes, definitely. <laughs> History has been made. Um, those are the reactions from Namibians um, on the game yesterday between Namibia and Tunisia. Now the country's team, Brave Warriors, plays South Africa. And that is on Sunday. We will bring you the updates on that. Exactly. And if you are one of those falling us and you are shocked that Namibia mm-hmm. shocked everyone of us <laughs> and shocked Tunisia, tell us how shocked you are so that maybe we can also be shocked together. <laughs> well, beyond that, Tanzania's Tefa stars have had only two appearances at the tournament. Uh, that was in 1980 and 2019. In their last appearance, they failed to win a single game and left after the group stage. Regardless, they don't consider themselves as underdogs in a tough group that has seasonal participants at African Lake. I'm talking about Morocco, DRC, and Zambia. Well, here's what Tanzania's head coach, Adil Anmuch, said ahead of the game. We are well prepared and very disciplined. Training is going well, except for the injury of two players who were injured during the match against Morocco a month ago. In general, everything is good. 
That is Tanzania's head coach, Abdil Amruch. Now, Morocco are favourites, especially after becoming the first African country to reach the World Cup semi-finals in Qatar. But Tanzania striker Mbwana Samata says they are in good form to play today. Well, the mindset is good. Actually, um, we've been in preparation. So the coach and all the technical technical staff, they work on everything, the mindset, the fitness, tactics. I believe we are in good form and uh, we, we get good preparation um, towards our game. Tanzania is playing at the top of the hour and they seem very positive that, you know, that it would be a very fair game between Morocco. Tristan that has been making headlines in Kenya and sparked conversations on social media platforms. Uh, femicide refers to the intentional killing of women because of their gender and cases of women being targeted and killed in and B renters are on the rise in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Now this disturbing trend of femicide has gripped Kenya. The news cycle seems relentless with these horrific stories. I mean, just last week there was the brutal killing of a 24-year-old woman which sent shockwaves across the country and people have been commenting on this on social media. DW's Andrew Wasiki sent in the story on what are the key issues fueling this epidemic. A disturbing trend of femicide has gripped Kenya with the latest incident involving a woman who was brutally murdered at an Airbnb apartment over the weekend. The gruesome discovery has ignited widespread conversations on social media raising urgent concerns about the safety of women in such rental spaces. But it's not Airbnbs alone as even presumed heavens fail to provide security. Rachel Mwikali, an activist working with the Young Women Leaders Institute, says that the number of women being murdered in Kenya is alarming. For me, if I look at it, I'll say it's violence being normalized. There's been a trend of GBV before it gets to killing. So it means that the system in Kenya has failed women when they go to report GBV cases and not taken seriously, and then they end up being killed. So I'll say the biggest cause is failure of the system of government, government response. Dr. Gladys Mwiti, a psychologist, noted that there's a deeply ingrained patriarchal attitude across Kenyan communities with a sense of ownership over women. She further said the silence surrounding domestic abuse, the lack of support systems and the lack of self-control all allows this violence to fester. It's very sad, really, um, that we've seen an increase of violence against women, especially young women, young, beautiful, promising women. And uh, I would like to say that there is no way we can excuse crime. From a psychological perspective, crime is a choice that we make. And so we have a nation which is getting um, more and more impulsive. When I say impulsive, is failure to control the self. And so what I think we have missed as a nation is helping people to develop self inner control. Gender rights activist Felista Gitonga says women in Kenya have never been safe. The life of a woman and especially a young woman is not valued in this country. It is very easy for somebody to pick a young woman in the guise of either a relationship and uh, if that woman dies uh, we tend as a society to vilify the woman um, even though she's the victim. 
Statistics paint a grim picture. The National Crime Research Center in Nairobi reported a 42% increase in femicide cases between 2019 and 2023. The incidents have sparked nationwide conversations on social media, with many questioning the safety of women in both public and private spheres. On the streets of Nairobi, Kenyans give me their views. We do have a femicide crisis. We do have a spike in gender-based violence, and it is related to this rhetoric where you are dehumanizing women. You are telling people that women don't have a right to the same things that men have. When uh, you have your friend, make sure that uh, if they are going somewhere, maybe for a social event, if you're going together, if they are visiting someone, make sure that you check up on them. I believe if we can be cautious, we can be able to uh, capture these things before they escalate to a very uh, dire level. I think right now it is 100% confirmed that we have a femicide issue where men are killing women and it doesn't matter of you are how old, you are vulnerable and you're prone to getting killed by a man. Across Kenya, authorities are grappling with the task of addressing this escalating crisis as concerned citizens are calling for urgent action to ensure the safety and well-being of women in Kenya. That was Andrew Wasike with that report. Now, breaking news coming in from Kenya is that you remember the cat leader who mm-hmm. led his followers to death yes, and yes. Uh, almost four, more than 400 people died. The story is he's been brought before court in the coastal town of Malindi along with 30 of his closest followers on charges of being responsible for 430 deaths. Uh, that's a story that we covered here and promised to bring you updates and these are an updates. It's a story coming in right now. He will be charged alongside 30 of his closest followers on charges of being responsible for more than 400 of his uh, followers to death. He stabbed them to death. He forbade the children from going to school. But before that, he'll be, I mean, examined mentally mm-hmm. to see whether he's fit to stand trial. Uh, in a moment, shall bring you updates about Afcon, but let's get this story of on education out of the way. That is in Malawi. Now, education is a basic human right, as we all know, and missing your exams can affect you moving to the next grade. Now, in Malawi, educationists want the government to abolish a system that compels learners in primary and education and secondary schools to pay fees for national exams under the Malawi National Examinations Board. Well, it follows revelations that close to 30,000 learners nearly missed their examinations because of failure to settle school fees. Chimimim Padata has more. Nearly 30,000 learners from less privileged families almost missed their national exams. The learners could not afford the examination fees ranging between 19,000 to 30,000 Malawi-Gwaja, an equivalent of 10 and 16 euros respectively. Florence Malua, a single mother of three, failed to settle the examination fee for her 14-year-old son. I do not have money to pay for the examination fee and it is painful as this has happened at a time that I did not expect. I run a salon business at the moment. What I get is not enough for the fees. The situation prompted a crowdfunding initiative among some good-willing Malawians as they raced against the 12th January examination fees payment deadline. Headmaster of Ulongwe Community Day Secondary School situated in Balaga district, Lester Marawere, recounts the number of learners from his school 
who have dropped out as a result of the financial challenges. The situation is bad, more especially to those who haven't yet paid the examination fees. Some of them have just withdrawn. They are not coming to school. About eight. Such financial hardships have ignited calls among educationists to have the examination fees scrapped off. Benedict Gondoe, Executive Director of Civil Society Education Coalition, CSEC, fears that payment of the fees would derail Malawi's ambition to improve education standards. We adopted the tuition-free primary education and that although the Education Act is talking about tuition-free, in practice we have gone beyond tuition. Let the government pay for these learners. Ministry of Education spokesperson Mpatso Nkwonera told DW the government is engaging the concerned parties on the matter. It's an issue that requires a consultations and a thorough analysis. The Minister of Education will make a, a decision after that. This issue has just come in. Agencies have been given and we cannot give the time as to when we can uh, make the decision. In total... Over 637,000 candidates are registered for this year's Malawi national examinations. The financial hardships that the country is experiencing cannot be ruled out as a major contributor to challenges in the education sector, which some say is poorly funded. That was Chimwime Padata with that report in Malawi. Um, I mean, Isaac, other than the game between Morocco and um, sorry, Morocco and Tanzania happening at the top of the other hour. What else can we expect from AFCON? Yes, of course, today we know that the last games of Group F will be in action, like you mentioned, Morocco mm-hmm. versus Tanzania. And uh, a little later, we'll have DRC versus Zambia. But I think it will give us a general picture of where every team stands. Because so far, it's only Senegal that has been able to score more goals than any other team mm-hmm. when it beat, when it was able to score three goals. I mean, but other teams are yet to really, really show. But well, we shall bring you more Afcon in our story of the week. So stay with us as usual. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time. My name is Isaac Mugabe. And I'm Okeri Ngushinado. Until tomorrow. DW Made for Minds.